Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. A violent coup attempt rocks the U.S. Capitol, raising new questions about domestic terrorism and the police state. And we're showing them today, right, that we have power, right? And as rioters turn their fury towards corporate media, there are important updates about the world's most important journalist, Julian Assange, founder of WikiLeaks. What we're saying is Assange is not a criminal and journalism is not a crime. Even if he wasn't at a risk of suicide, he shouldn't be in jail. It's, it's really as simple as that. All that and more, coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital for January 8th, 2021. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, in these days after a violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol brought the American government to a standstill, halting temporarily the certification of a presidential election, Washington is still in a state of shock. Five people are now dead, including a Capitol Hill police officer, Brian Sicknick, who succumbed Thursday to injuries sustained during the January 6th attack. Dozens more are injured, but as of Thursday, only 68 people were arrested as law enforcement asked for public assistance in identifying those who broke doors and windows at the Capitol, vandalized and looted offices and legislative chambers, and while some in the mob carried Confederate flags into the Capitol, Two makeshift gallows with nooses were constructed outside. On the ground was at the Capitol that day. This is Thomas O'Rourke for On the Ground here on the east side of the Capitol building. The one percenters want to take control of the gold. And America is the last, the, the golden ark, if you will. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, the economic corporate hate Trump. They hate him because he said, America first, right? And when he said that, that was it. They couldn't deal with him no more, right? This 2016 is when he their plan off because Clinton's, Obama's, Biden were all into it. And the Republicans were no better back then. If you remember watching the primary, they were Scumbags back then, right? It's they were first one, right? It's all part of it. It's both sides, and both sides. He's an outsider. Do you know the history behind that? I do. I do. War on drugs. Uh, Everything. Uh, Kamala. Her history. How about, the, how about the war in Iraq? We view Trump as our last hope. Without without That's him, it. right? Then we feel. Well, I want to know why. Last he, hope. Last hope for what? Because he's an independent, bro. Right. So let's get his story. We're good. Last hope. No, I'm. I'm. I'm a citizen journalist. Oh, yeah. a radio station. Okay, some audio good. footage. That's all. Sure. You know, because um, it's it's happening. Right. And uh, my God. This is as dramatic as it gets. You know, well, we're not burning anything down. And no, there's a difference no. between well, us and them, right? 
and we're showing them today, right, that we have power, right? We, the people, well, still when have you power. you say them, you have to really be specific. Because well, what them is yeah. now, what them is now, is a global right, coalition, it's a coalition to be global dominant. Now, they have so many ties. you got souls in there. you got the media. You have the, the tech industries. You have it's Facebook. Well, it's it's all, it all funnels down to yeah. this like chokehold on America. Listen, they want and to kill the middle perpetuate. class. They're going to kill the middle class. Hasn't the middle class been been attacked yeah. through the destruction of unions for the last forty years? Absolutely. Hasn't, 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 hasn't the average wage been declining for American households since the early seventies? The, the political bull goes down with the unions in our government. They get a, no. a, a, a Let me ask you a question, man. We're supposed to get what nine hundred billion dollars in stimulus. Our country for the stimulus bill. Yeah, nine hundred billion. Yeah, it, come, it broke down to like twelve thousand eight hundred, something like that, per citizen. America, right? Mm-hmm. We got less than ten percent of that. We got five percent. Six hundred dollars. I didn't get a dime. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Why are we getting five percent? Of the big picture, what was the point of Russiagate all this time? Russiagate, yeah, yeah, to, to just discredit Trump. Yeah. Because yeah. if you look at dude, the whole time, four years Trump was in office, it was Russian, 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 collusion, collusion, collusion. Yeah. Now that they're, excuse me, now that it's over and that it's the tide turned, it was the most pristine election ever. Yeah. I mean, are you actually fake stuff that got passed through? The FBI, CIA, judges of stamped it. Oh, yeah, this is real. Here you go. Fight for Trump! Fight for Trump! Fight for Trump! Okay, so that was our contributor, Thomas O'Rourke, down at the Capitol on January 6th, and he's with me to follow up. So, Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you, Esther. Pleasure to be with you. Well, you know, it occurred to me, you know, listening to the extensive interviews that not all the people who went down to the Capitol, first of all, not all of them went into the Capitol, right? There were a lot of people still out on the grounds of the Capitol. And we may not think of it as progressives, but there's some common ground between people who are progressive and some of the people who are down at the Capitol in terms of, you know, fighting for working people, some issues of economics. But it seems like we differ on Trump, number one, in terms of they see Trump, as one person said, as their savior or their last chance. And, you know, kind of representing working class interests. And we see him as definitely working on behalf of the 1% for the oligarchy. So did you have any any other thoughts on those conversations you had? Yes, uh, Esther. People were talking about their, you know, their economic losses. And actually, I heard a lot of that, not on on tape, but uh, from other people who, you know, described, you know, businesses that are going bust and uh, and boarded up restaurants and, and just having to endure with no income for a long time. And they don't blame Trump for that. They don't, no. Who do they blame? The, the COVID conspiracy. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, this, uh, you know, people that don't believe that it's a real disease, people that don't believe if it is a disease that, uh, you know, the, uh, the lockdowns were necessary, things like that. Yeah. 
the other thing that I think the progressives I know would differ with the folks that you spoke to on is the whole issue of police because they seem to be real comfortable with the police and one man gave you an example of how the police had helped them down at the Capitol. Let's hear what he has to say. Okay. I actually talked to the cop. I'm like, yeah. we're, we're on your side, man. Uh, like, we're not here to fight you. Yeah. You know, he goes, take him and put him off. But the cop was cool. He's like, just let him go. I'm like, we're not here to hurt you. I imagine most of these cops are kind of, kind of saying, we're like, we're on your side, man. We love cops. We love cops, he says. And I suppose you've seen the video of the Capitol Hill police opening up the gates and letting people into the Capitol, other clips of people taking selfies with the Capitol Hill police. And so I think that that's the other difference that the folks I know would have with the crowd that you talked to down there. Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, and, and don't forget that the uh, apparently the National Police Union endorsed Trump uh, you know, a few months ago for re-election. So many of these people... What I heard on the street, uh, walking in and out of the uh, grounds, was some people yelling at cops and calling them traitors, as in traitor to their cause. So, either Wednesday night or starting on Thursday, there began this narrative on right-wing media that tried to say that the people down there were actually leftists in Antifa, <laughs> and that they, they were the ones really breaking into the Capitol when... All I saw were Confederate flags, Trump flags, people who were clearly coming from the Trump rally incited by the Trump speeches and stuff. So what did you see when you were down on the mall? I heard people say uh, say nothing kind about BLM or Antifa, cursing them and nothing kind. And they were eager to uh, seek them out if they encountered them, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been uh, a friendly encounter. I could definitely identify what I perceived as some fascists within the crowd. People dressed like they were ready for combat, although I did not see a weapon myself, personally. I did see backpacks that could have been, you know, loaded, and and obviously uh, there were weapons there, as you heard on the the clip earlier. Uh, But on the other hand, there wasn't that type of reaction to someone with a Confederate flag or these nooses. Oh, of course not. Right. Of course not. I spoke to a man wearing a T-shirt, and I had to ask him what the state of Jefferson was. It's a, a he says he's advocating for an independent republic of Northern California, claiming it's been a secessionist movement since the, you know, the fifties. No one's mentioned the Beer Hall Putsch, the 1922 uh, uh, aborted takeover of the Bavarian government by Hitler and his. Uh, Ragtag German Worker Party types. They mm-hmm. hadn't. They called themselves the German Worker Party. Right. But uh, you know, it was a dress rehearsal. He got arrested and spent whatever time he did in writing Mein Kampf. But it occurred to me because I heard the word dress rehearsal before, and who's to say this isn't a dress rehearsal for two weeks? Although I don't imagine the American state's going to let that kind of chaos occur again so soon. Well, also, yeah, I could say on Thursday, much taller fencing went up around the Capitol. It's looking more like a fortress now, seven-foot-high fencing with what they call unclimbable. I'm not sure how that's possible, but I think it's, I think it has like a smooth surface that you can't get a toehold on, you know? Yeah. And yeah. the other thing about 
police, you know, much is being made about the poor response of the Capitol Hill police. And on the videos I saw, that was the Capitol Hill police that were definitely ill-prepared. I don't know what kind of orders they received to, to not engage or whatever, but I can't think of another national capital. I think that's what people are responding to from around the world where you can just walk in like that. Uh, most other places, you definitely would be shot, you know, and maybe it's kind of, they think of it as almost like a visitor center, you know, it's the people's house. It's people come there all the time and they, you know, you get your purse searched and you you know, you go in and you, you know, you can be in certain areas for demonstrations I've been in. But the police that were really resisting the crowd and trying to hold them back, that was MPD, uh, our D.C. Metropolitan Police Department. And those are the police and the tactics that we're we're more used to. <laughs> so, of course, yeah. of course. And, right. uh, and of course, you know, that there's a whole discussion now around comparing the treatment of those largely white protesters or the insurgents on Wednesday at the Capitol versus the treatment that racial justice protesters have received all summer after the j death of George Floyd, you know, including the infamous June 1st calling out of federal troops on what is now Black Lives Matter Plaza. So, so finally, where do you think that people felt their movement was going? So given the fact that the certification process went through, what do you think the people you talked to wanted to see happen after they left? Well, uh, if you differentiate between and uh, in the crowd, I mean, the, the true fascists are going to probably continue to try to organize and develop uh, what they do on the fringe. The, you know, the middle class dissatisfied whites who's economically hurting is going to wait and see, I suppose, what, uh, how quickly things improve. At this point, I expect they're going to, like uh, Democrats in 2016, uh, sit back and, and wait and see. I mean, that's uh, one of Trump's favorite lines anyway, uh, since he's all about selling the next week's program. I suspect many will be disappointed when he disappears, if he does disappear. They'll be disappointed, but, you know, start looking around maybe eventually for, you know, a new champion. Well... I, I did get the sense, though, that this is almost a new party by itself. These are Trumpists, you know what I mean? I got really the sense that they have a hostility toward the Republican Party or many in the Republican Party and that, you know, this may either be a new party or uh, certainly a, a new market for Trump's media, new media channel, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly possible, or that, or if this rump becomes the Republican Party, and some of the Republicans becoming Democrats. After all, uh, they're they're very at ease with the state of the corporate Democratic Party, since Bernie's uh, wing was uh, effectively uh, destroyed again this campaign season. Okay, well. I've been speaking with Thomas O'Rourke, on the ground contributor. Thank you, Thomas, for being down there on the ground on January 6th and for joining me on the show. Pleasure, Esther. Thank you.
Though it feels like ages ago, the start of this first week of the new year began with leaked audio of a phone call President Trump placed to the Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, during which Trump repeated various false claims about voter fraud in November's presidential election and demanded that Raffensperger overturn the election result in that state. We have won this election in Georgia based on all of this. And there's, there's nothing wrong with, with saying that, Brad. You know, I mean, having, the, having a correct, the people of Georgia are angry. And these numbers are going to be repeated on Monday night, along with others that we're going to have by that time, which are much more substantial even. And the people of Georgia are angry. The people of the country are angry. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. Because, uh, so, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have. That phone performance was followed up Monday, January 4th, with a speech by Trump as he campaigned in Georgia for Republican Senate candidates Cully Loeffler and David Perdue. At the rally, he stubbornly stayed with the theme of election fraud and of being cheated out of a victory, despite overwhelming evidence and dozens of court decisions to the contrary. If the liberal Democrats take the Senate and the White House, and they're not taking this White House, we're going to fight like hell, I'll tell you right now. When you win in a landslide, and they steal it, and it's rigged, it's not acceptable. Not acceptable. As it turns out, that Monday speech was a precursor to one he would give on January 6th, after it was clear that the Democratic senatorial candidates, the Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, were all but assured of victory in Georgia. At the ellipse near the White House, speaker after speaker whipped up the crowd. Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, went all Game of Thrones and exhorted the crowd to hold a trial by combat to determine election fraud. And Trump also stayed with the theme of battle. You'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. At the end of his speech, Trump urged the crowd to march to the Capitol where rioters entered the Capitol and then the rest is history or infamy. As of our broadcast, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos was the latest to resign from Trump's cabinet. Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao and former Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney who is special envoy to Ireland, have also quit. Over on Capitol Hill, the chief of the Capitol Police, Stephen Sun, is stepping down from his job, as well as the sergeant of arms for the House, Paul D. Irving, and the sergeant of arms for the Senate, Michael C. Stanger. More on the aftermath of January 6th after headlines. In culture and media, also on Monday, January 4th, British judge Vanessa Baritzer surprised many observers of the extradition trial of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange by denying the extradition request by the U.S. government. Much of the surprise stemmed from the judge's own verdict, which found her agreeing with nearly all the arguments made by the U.S. prosecutors, but refusing to extradite because of Assange's depression and potential for suicide, 
under harsh conditions in U.S. prisons. Rather than immediately releasing Assange pending the prosecution's promised appeal, the judge then scheduled a Wednesday bail hearing during which he denied him bail. His continuing incarceration in maximum security Belmarsh Prison is based solely on the U.S. extradition request. Mitchell, an activist from Wilmington, North Carolina, spoke to On the Ground at a free Julian Assange rally this week held in front of the Justice Department in Northwest D.C. No issue can be fought for if the government can just decide that you can't report on this issue. Whatever you're passionate on, if you don't fight for freedom of press, then you're, you're giving up your own power for whatever you care about. Yeah. So it's a constitutional freedom for a reason, yeah. because of course the government isn't going to want you to publish things that makes it look bad. And finally, in this week in history, January 4th marked the 120th anniversary of the birth of historian and author C.L.R. James. And January 7th marked the 120th anniversary of the birth of writer Zora Neale Hurston. And on January 6th, 1941, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt delivered his historic Four Freedom speech, emphasizing freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. Effects and black. I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiration. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente. Lo que usan su mente para revolución. Hey, I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiration. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente. Lo que usan su mente para liberación. Hey yo, hey yo. My heroes are young lords adored and ready to go to war in a society with racial anxiety, singing the blues of various hues and colors on the streets. People were killing each other, so they. On the coalition of brothers and sisters on a revolutionary mission. Now listen, they won't open with no crooked ass politicians. They made their own decisions based solely on their proposition. They had a 13 point program and platform. They knew that organizing was an art form that they could transform from college students and dorms into a militant organization with uniforms. The newspapers read Liberación or Hunter, Liberty or Death to their last breath, fighting for those that have less. So though we man stress, we still blessed. Still stay blessed. I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiration. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente. Lo que usa en su mente para revolución. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org. Voices of resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, questions remain about the lax security and policing at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And even about what appears to be definite collusion between police and law enforcement in allowing the storming and vandalism of the U.S. Capitol, which resulted in four deaths, dozens of injuries, and scores of arrests. As the mob rioted after incitement by President Trump, there is mounting tension about what more Trump may incite with only 12 days to go before the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden. Well, joining me to discuss this is On the Ground's geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, the Morris Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. The most recent of his three dozen books is The Dawning of the Apocalypse, The Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. He joins us from Houston, Texas. Welcome back to the show, Gerald, and Happy New Year. Same to you. You know, as I was 
saying the name of your book, it just seems like every time we talk about a topic, the book seems so relevant to what we're talking about that, you know, it just joins right into the subject. So let's just start with January 6th and just give me your first thoughts on what for DC was a harrowing day. Well, it was an attempted counter-revolutionary fascist-minded coup. It reminded me of how European settlers in North America some centuries ago sacked Native American villages and seized their land, or how enslavers plundered African villages, particularly in West Africa. The rioters, the insurrectionists, as they're now being called, were not coincidentally defined as, quote, white, unquote. That is to say, in this settler colonial nation, which was based upon class collaboration between poor and richer Europeans in order to pillage Native Americans and Africans for their mutual advantage, it seems that those in the vanguard of this riot were dissatisfied with how the nation is going because in 2021, that 16th and 17th century model of development is not easy to accomplish. That is to say, plundering and pillaging Uh, Native Americans or Africans or Iraqis or Afghans, for that matter. So they attacked the political leadership of the United States in order to effectuate a coup and a regime change so that they could reinstate the preferred model of development. Now, unfortunately, many of our radical friends and progressive friends, they tend to see the uh, Trump base as yearning for a Green New Deal and Medicare for all. But fascist-minded forces, the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, QAnon, the Three Percenters, they are not progressives in disguise. Uh, They want remedies only for those defined as, quote, white, unquote. And more than this, the left that prattles on about the progressivism, allegedly, of 1776, these fascist-minded forces recognize that 1776 created an apartheid society. So they are more true, in a sense, to the founding of this country when they want to turn the clock back, as opposed to many of our liberal and radical friends who have this mythology about the alleged progressivism of 1776. Now, some on the left, I'm afraid to say, also see this discussion of fascism as a distraction from discussing another relevant point, which is the neoliberalism of the Democratic Party, but they are seemingly unaware that it's possible to fight both. The U.S. ruling class also has a dilemma. Uh, They have done well by enlisting non-elite Euro-Americans to vote for the GOP and deliver tax cuts and other giveaways to the 1%. But now the non-elite Euro-American base feel that they have not profited sufficiently and therefore are storming the capital. Not only that, but the currency of whiteness And privilege does not mean as much today as it did, say, in 1960. And so, therefore, you have this January 6th insurrection. The U.S. ruling class is trapped. They need a new base since the current base is sought to overthrow the Congress that is delivered so well for them. But no new base is in sight. Uh, As for the non-elite Euro-Americans who stormed the Capitol, it will be difficult to assuage them with higher minimum wage or better health care, since that will be a class-based remedy, and they want a race-based remedy for whites and whites alone. So Trump and his ultra-right mass base are wearing many of the hawks. 
I was astonished by the letter that appeared in the Washington Post uh, earlier this week, uh, initiated by uh, Uber Hawk Dick Cheney and other uh, former Pentagon chiefs, including Donald Rumsfeld, right. warned the U.S. military not to get involved in domestic U.S. politics. And as the Financial Times of London said in an editorial, what do they know that we don't know? Why are they warning the military not to get involved? But of course, uh, a few days later, you had the attempted coup of January 6, uh, 2021. It's well known that the ultra-right has infiltrated not only uh, police departments, but the U.S. military at the highest levels. And I have to say that one of all the astonishing pictures emerging from January 6, one of the most astonishing was the sight of the black police officer being chased by the ultra-rightists uh, as opposed to him bringing the ultra-rightists to heel. Uh, that helped to expose, I'm afraid to say, what has been rumored and what you suggested in your opening remarks about the lethargy of the leadership of the Capitol Police in terms of anticipating what we all knew what was coming. After all, Mr. Trump had tweeted days before January 6th about how this day would be a, quote, wild, unquote, day. And that proved to be correct. I did want to ask you about some historical analogies. In looking at this election and everything that's happened, it seems that the storming of the Capitol, the coming, you know, a day after the the victory by the first African-American senator from Georgia, you know, the Democrats taking over, uh, winning both seats in Georgia. It seemed like some of this insurrection was related to the idea that the votes that, that are considered illegitimate by the right are black votes or votes by black and brown people. And so I wanted to think about how what happened on January 6th is related to so many instances after the Civil War when there were these constant efforts by former states of the Confederacy to challenge the electoral votes from their states to discount the votes of black people. Well, certainly you're onto something. It's not coincidental that Mr. Trump and his base are raising questions about the vote in Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Detroit. Uh, all cities that have large black populations and voted heavily against them. And by talking about the 19th century, obviously you're invoking the question of reconstruction, the period following the U.S. Civil War, that is to say from approximately 1865 to 1876, when you had the pivotal 1876 election, whereby as a result of a corrupt bargain, federal troops were withdrawn from the South, from Dixie, thereby squashing the progressivism that had been exhibited to that point in Reconstruction with black senators being elected, black congresspersons uh, being elected, etc. And that inaugurated the decades of Jim Crow and U.S. apartheid that only began to crumble in the 1950s. So it's apparent that the Trump base and the Trump leaders, the leaders of the Trump base, they want to see a recreation of that dastardly period, but it's up to us to make sure it doesn't happen. And then finally, I, I guess you saw the comment uh, coming from the Venezuelan government, basically reminding the U.S. that, you know, we feel for you, but 
what you're experiencing, you've inflicted on countries all around the world in terms of coups and just sabotage governments and assassinations and, you know, true intervention, you know, against the elected leadership of other countries. Well, absolutely. This is no more than chickens coming home to roost. It was inevitable that there would be blowback, that is to say, that what the United States has sought to do abroad would come back to haunt the United States at home. And you see that directly with regard to these pro-fascist groupings, which are disproportionately comprised of military veterans, I'm afraid to say, who were trained to use weapons in Afghanistan and Iraq to settle political disputes. It was unavoidable that they would come back home and try to use weapons to settle political disputes. And you could say the same thing, I'm afraid to say, about many of our police departments in this country, which too are populated heavily by disgruntled, right-wing, fascist-minded military veterans. Because I have a piece on the corporate media and we have a little piece on the rally for Julian Assange, mm-hmm. his extradition being denied for now. And so one issue that struck me in watching the coverage of the coup was the anger of the crowd at those, the crowd identified as corporate media. But also, I'm really struck by the self-righteousness of those same corporate media outlets that could not acknowledge at all for one minute how their relentless pushing of the Russiagate hoax for the past four years to delegitimize Trump's presidency and then the impeachment over the phone call to Ukraine has provided a reason for Trump's followers to never believe them, to never believe the media, even about the election, and to always believe Trump, even if it involves these conspiracy theories about the election and QAnon and whatever. Um, And that's because they can rightly point to the fact that Trump, not the corporate media, was correct about Russiagate. Russiagate, Russia apparently claiming that Russia hacked voting machines. And so I do believe that January 6th was the culmination of how Trump has been able to cobble together the far-right, proud boys, neo-confederates, neo-fascists into his base. But January 6th was also the culmination of a nation being lied to over and over about those basic truths. Well, I mean, it's a culmination of, of so many trends. I mean, for, for example, in that same vein, I think Cheney, Rumsfeld, et cetera, and uh, certainly Biden, certainly Biden, they're concerned that if you're really serious about launching a new Cold War against China, it doesn't make sense to turn the European Union into a foe. I mean, that's destined for disaster. And certainly if you're going to have dual containment of Russia and China, which is the policy of both Trump and Biden, well, you, you can't alienate the EU, too. I mean, so that leads to hostility in, in ruling class circles towards Trump because they, they feel that, you know, he's taking the nation over a cliff. And likewise, with regard to the Uber Hawks, he's, they don't like the fact that he was withdrawing troops from Afghanistan and all that. And so that's one of the reasons why I think Trump now, you know, his latest statements have been somewhat apologetic. Because he has a base amongst the white working class, white middle class, 
But I think his base in the ruling class is shrinking. That's my opinion. That's this has gone one coup too far. <laughs> so I mean, he, he's jeopardizing a twenty trillion dollar enterprise known as the United States of America, and somebody had to pull his coat. So now he says, "Well, I'm going to be involved in the orderly transition towards Biden. People should be prosecuted." But in the meantime, Betsy DeVos has just resigned. Right. Well, you know, if they keep resigning, then, I mean, there's no cabinet to declare the 25th Amendment or whatever. (laughs) So, but just following up on what you said, okay, so you're talking about the relationship between him and international affairs. So I think the same thing with the media. You know, and I guess that's my bailiwick. So that's what I'm like looking at and enraged by. But so just just like these same corporate media have been spewing these these falsehoods for four years, you know, getting the base further and further aligned with Trump, who they see as telling them the truth. You know, these same corporate media outlets call January 6th this ultimate attack on democracy. But these same commentators ignore how the U.S. has had similar attacks, as we mentioned before, on the electoral processes of Venezuela, Bolivia, you know, Biden and Obama administration uh, supported the coup in Honduras that brought the current corrupt drug mafia administration there. They didn't support Dilma Rousseff when she was subjected to this judicial or legislated coup in Brazil. And, well, now we have the far-right administration of Bolsonaro. So you're talking about people tearing their hair out or having their hair on fire, when I listen to these people, you know, it puts my hair on fire, so I, I try not to listen. Well, well, in that same vein, if you look at the New York Times, Stephen Erlanger has a column, a vicious column, attacking the EU because of this trade deal with China. Yeah. And, you know, it's very one-sided. Even in terms from a journalistic point of view, he doesn't really quote that many sources giving the EU opinion. He's, he's treating the EU like it's Cuba. <laughs> I mean, it, it was incredible. Wow. Wow. I'm going to have to leave it there because I've run out of time. But I, I, um, I, I do want you to know that before I spoke to you, uh, I spoke to one of our contributors who was down in the mall. And uh, that may have some more of the the kind of a class solidarity thing um, theme that you are kind of disputing in your talk, but not everybody down at the mall was really the same, but this discussion will go on. And the other thing I wanted to mention, because you just mentioned the military is that the, the woman who was shot inside the Capitol, I believe was an air force uh, veteran. And apparently affiliated with QAnon. Yeah. But anyway, I've been speaking to our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you. I don't want to take no time to write this down.
with this mic in my hand Even though it's feedback, still won't come and chill Put my heart and soul into it, y'all Let's start, do you feel me? possible. 
by seeing the condition that Julian Assange was, by summoning his own expertise. So many people to thank for what happened today. But I want to talk a little bit about some of the people that we shouldn't thank and the institutions that we shouldn't thank. And one of them is Judge Vanessa Bereitzer, whose ruling was not a victory for free press. Her ruling was basically a faithful recitation, like, you know, it was like a faithful facsimile of the narrative put forward by the spooks and kooks inside this building behind me. And one of the things that she said that really upset me was to justify the CIA's spying on Julian Assange. I talked about this yesterday. You all know about this. You all know about UC Global. This was a Spanish security firm that was basically given the ability to spy on Julian Assange because it had the contract to provide security at the Ecuadorian embassy in London. And the director, David Morales, of this firm got flipped by the CIA in Las Vegas. He basically got recruited under the watch of Mike Pompeo. The whole operation was funded through a billionaire cutout who happened to be the largest donor to Donald Trump, Sheldon Adelson, who is also one of the biggest benefactors to Benjamin Netanyahu, apartheid Lord Netanyahu. And the CIA basically installed camera systems, hidden microphones, Morales was revealed. I mean, I, I exposed this, I don't know, or helped expose this, I don't know why it wasn't on the cover of every newspaper that's reporting on the supposed poisoning of Russian opposition figure Navalny, but Morales openly plotted as a U.S. agent to poison Julian Assange, and I obtained the protected witness testimony from a Spanish court where Morales is currently on trial to prove that. We have text messages de demonstrating the plots against Assange. They wanted to kill, U.S. agents wanted to kill Julian Assange on British soil. And there's no coverage of that. What else took place? Journalists who went to interview Julian Assange, including, I mean, the museum, this joke of a museum down the street that honors the corporate media. Uh, journalists from the Washington Post, like Ellen Nakashima, from PBS, like Anthony Lowell Bergman, from the New York Times, they, when they went into the embassy, they had their phones taken by the CIA contractor, open, they were hacked into, their devices were hacked into, their personal information was taken, and they were spied on by the CIA, working hand in glove with the Department of Justice. So this institution behind us and the secret government in Langley that spans the media was spying on U.S. journalists. And again, where's the outrage? Where's the coverage? Where's the New York Times? If Putin had done this, they would be freaking out. It would be a titanic scandal. So I have photographs from the Spanish case that David Morales' UC Global employees, CIA contractors took of the open phone of the Washington Post chief national security correspondent, Ellen Nakashima. I have the photos. I published them at the Gray Zone. It's real. It's a fact. I have the photos they took of them meeting with Julian Assange, Anthony Lowell Bergman, this esteemed journalist. And none of them said None of them said, they're like, okay, please spy on me, the CIA. Why? Why, did, why didn't they say anything? Why were they so silent? Because they want access. Because they basically want access to their spook buddies so they can keep reporting on uh, U.S. officials, say, Russia hacked into uh, Disney World's uh, big mouse system 
You know, that's how the media operates here. And that's why they threw Julian Assange under the bus. They could have made the biggest scandal of the Trump era with the Trump administration secretary of state, who's the former CIA director, Mike Pompeo, spying on journalists. They could have made the biggest scandal of the Trump era, the CIA plotting to kill the most prominent dissident in the Western world, and they chose not to. And the, the, the absolute criminal malpractice of our corporate media made its way into Judge Vanessa Breitzer's decision when she cited a CNN report to justify all of that spying and plotting against Julian Assange. And that CNN report referred to the Ecuadorian embassy as a command center for Russian hacking. It was filled with disinformation from top to bottom, and as I revealed at the Gray Zone, it was written by a right-wing Ecuadorian journalist who worked for an NGO called Transparency International. Transparency International, it sounds good, it's like they care about corruption. For some reason, they're always pointing the finger at Venezuela, and not the United States and U.S. corporations, and it's because they're funded by corporate America, the State Department, and the very same British Foreign Office that presided over Julian Assange's persecution, the very same British government. So it's a fake NGO, the reporter has worked for it, he wrote this article for CNN, and who was his source on the article? Where was he sourcing all of his information from? To claim, pretty much, pretty much, UC Global was his source, and instead of correctly referring to UC Global as a CIA contractor, he just said, oh, well, they were hired by the Ecuadorian government because the Ecuadorian government was itself being penetrated and infiltrated by the CIA through this group. I don't know if I went too far down the rabbit hole, but this is just to illustrate how our media works and why Wikipedia is so important and why the work you all are doing is so important. Because what Wikipedia... Hey, Wikipedia. Sorry, not Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia sucks. <laughs> sorry, thank you for that correction. WikiLeaks. Wikipedia is, by the way, listed the gray zone is a deprecated source. You're not allowed to cite us, so <laughs> Wikipedia. Yeah. Jimmy Wales and his wife, who is the former diary secretary to Tony Blair. We know what their agenda is. And again, that emphasizes the importance of WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks and Julian Assange have said, we are an intelligence agency for the people. That's truly what they are. They're totally independent. They're providing transparency. They're telling us what, how the sausage is made in this city. And that's why they've been so important for us at the Gray Zone and so many others. And that's why we have to, we have to reject this decision even as we accept it. Because it, this decision is still dangerous to a free press. It still puts all of you and anyone who does real national security reporting in the crosshairs of the people in dark suits in this building. And so it's a very dangerous decision, even as it condemns our gulag archipelago of federal torture prisons known as supermaxes. So let's just keep that in mind as we move forward. Again, Wednesday, we'll see what happens, but I believe Julian will be free. Julian must be free. He should be freed immediately. We need to see freedom for Julian Assange. Freedom! Freedom!
again, Max Blumenthal, editor-in-chief of The Gray Zone. We'll have the last word on today's show. He was speaking at a free Julian Assange rally this week, Monday, January 4th, 2021, outside the Justice Department in Northwest D.C. And that's it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. At onthegroundshow.org, you can check out all of our current and past shows. You can contact us and support us. You can also let us know you like the show on Facebook, Twitter, or on patreon.com at onthegroundshow. Our new podcast is On the Ground with Esther Averam, and you can subscribe on all of your podcast platforms. And if you check out the podcast, I would appreciate a nice rating from you. Our new podcasts, our social media pages, and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says on the ground. When you see that sign, you know you're in the right place. The music we played this hour included Inspiracion by Conrado Maluk, Umi Says by Yasin Bey, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Ivera, and until next time, take good care, keep holding up your light, and Happy New Year. Peace. This is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month will help us keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash on the ground show where we post the shows and bonus material or you can see all the ways to support including end of the year giving and paypal on our website which you know is on the ground show.org thank you I didn't mean to take up all your sweet time. I'll give it right back to you. Oh, what did you say?